Hello everyone, my name's Dave and today I'm finishing off our series that we've been going through called Life. Last week I explored uh, themes of racial justice and how that impacts the way that we view and treat uh, people. Today we're going to be thinking about some issues of life and death and particularly issues to do with when we try to take control of life and of death. We're going to be exploring some things today which might be sensitive, which might be difficult. I'll be exploring uh, issues of abortion, but also other things that are going on uh, th that we have some control over in our lives. Now, I'm aware that those things could be difficult. I'm aware that those things might be very close to home. I'm aware that there might be those watching who have made heartbreaking decisions or difficult decisions in their own lives. I'm aware that there might be uh, those uh, who are Christians watching this who have allowed themselves to become judgmental or to become bitter or to become harsh towards people who they think have made wrong decisions. I'm sure that there, were, that, that, that there might be people who are watching who are thinking it's fantastic that we last week were thinking about issues of racial justice, but isn't this something that we could just keep quiet about? Isn't this something that we really shouldn't be talking about? I believe both are on God's heart and both are important. And today I very simply want to explore a passage from the Bible, something which has so much to say about life and the value that it has and the way that God views life, which might inform some of the ways that we can view life and decisions we make about life. It's Psalm 139, it's a song. It's a, it's, it's a song that, that a man called David wrote and it's found within the Bible and it, and it explores some of the depths and the beauty and the intricacies of life. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I want to think about three things today. I want to think briefly about the fact we are known by God. Second, about the fact we've been made by God. And finally, that, that we can be led by God. And think about what each of those things means for us. In these words, we, we see David's excitement about the fact that he realises God knows him. God knows him inside and outside. He says, wherever I go, God, you'll be there. You know me. You know everything about me. Before I even say something, you know what it is I'm going to say. I wonder if you're like me and sometimes words come out of your mouth and you think, oh, I didn't realise that's what I was going to say. In that respect, God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows us inside and out. God knows every single thing about us. Because he made us. And he knows us because he made us. At the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, in that creation story, we read, so God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Those words which speak of God making us and pouring something of himself into us, into every single one of us, regardless of age, race, gender, religion, disability, IQ, our history, our sexuality, our political views, regardless of all of that, we are made in the image of God and we are known. We are cherished and we are known by him. The God I speak about today is not some vague, distant force. He wants to have a relationship because he knows you. So that's our starting point. God knows us. But the psalm carries on. The psalm carries on and explains why it is that God knows us so intimately and so deeply. And it has all to do with the fact that God made us. So let's carry on reading now. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is where I perhaps want to focus most of our time together today. These words which speak about the fact we have been made by God, made carefully, made deliberately, made intentionally. And I want to explore three things about that. And the first is the idea that, that as Christians, we believe in life before life. We're perhaps more famous as Christians for believing in life after death. But we also believe in some ways in life before life, not just life after death. Because in these words, we see, we see things to do with the fact that God knew us, not just since our earthly life, but before our earthly life. Some of those words, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb, before I was born, before I was alive, as it were, in this world, with a body living and breathing for myself. I was known and I was being created and I was being formed by God. We read also, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the, in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. It's poetic language, it's expansive language, but what it captures is this idea that before we were born, before, we, before anyone else saw our physical form, God knew us and God was making us and he was crafting us. The moment of birth wasn't the moment when we came to be as people. It came before that as God was forming us. And so that does bring us to the question of abortion. And I guess my position on that, informed by verses like these in the Bible, would be what many would call pro-life, not supportive of abortion policy. But I want to say for a second that I think the language of pro-life and pro-choice is deeply unhelpful. Because if I say that I am pro-life and someone else who thinks that abortion can be a good thing, can be a healthy and a, and a helpful thing, well, I don't believe that they are anti-life. It's not that I'm pro-life and they're anti-life. They probably support many things which are to do with life and to do with flourishing and to do with living well. And in the same way, 
someone who, who would, would describe themselves as pro-choice, well, I hope you would look at me and know that I am not intrinsically against the idea, the concept of choice in people's lives. I believe people should have choices. We should have free will. But I think you, like me, would also say that there are times when it's right for our choices to be limited. I shouldn't be free to make any choice that I want to. Some of my choices can harm others. That's why as societies we have rules, we have laws. To limit the choices that people are, are, are allowed to make for a greater or for a higher good. I'm not anti-choice in the same way that I wouldn't say anyone listening to this is anti-life. The language is, is, is tearing us apart and making conversation difficult. Those who would take a different view to me, they're not against life. Their view would be that life doesn't begin before birth, that life does not begin as I would see it does at conception, that a baby is not truly alive until born. It is a fetus that might become life that might become alive in the future. But ultimately, I think that for me, science isn't the place that I'm going to to answer these questions. The question of whether life begins at conception or at birth or somewhere in the middle is something that I don't think is ultimately a scientific question. Science can ask, answer questions about when, when, a, when a fetus or a baby can survive outside of the womb by itself. Science can, can answer some of those kinds of questions about what is possible and what might happen or what might not happen. But ultimately, the reason that I believe what I believe is to do with what I believe Scripture teaches, what I believe that God says to us. And what God says in verses like these is that we are known before we are born, that we have been carefully made before we are born. It's things like that that lead me to, to the view that I hold, which is that my life began at conception. And from any point on after that, it would be to end a life rather than just to prevent one beginning in the first place. Verses like these, but also the example of Jesus himself. Jesus, who famously, we celebrate it at Christmas, was born as a baby. But there are events while he's still in his mother's womb, when, when he's not just spoken of, but in some ways behaves as a person. There's a time when Mary visits her relative Elizabeth, and, 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 and Elizabeth's um, also pregnant. And the child in her womb reacts and responds to the child in Mary's womb. There's a, there's a personality, there's actions being taken. And the whole way that scripture speaks of these unborn children is that they are people, that they are alive. We are more than just a body and a mind. These verses that we've looked at today talk about God forming our inmost being. It's language that, that, that evokes the idea of our soul of the spiritual dimension of who we are that's been given to us and made by God and given to us before we are born. I believe God made us and that life begins before what we might see as life. And yet that's not the way that our world tends to behave. In 2019, a reported 223,102 abortions took place in Great Britain. In recent years, that number has increased year on year by between five and 9,000. About 24% of pregnancies are estimated to end in abortion. That's discounting the figures of miscarriages. The 2020 uh, figures haven't yet been fully published, but they do show a further 
increase in these things. I want to remind you that behind every one of those statistics are many, many stories. Your story might be represented in those statistics. Your reaction to those might be one of shock and sadness, or it may be one of gladness because you see this as evidence of us living in an evolved and an enlightened society. Personally, I find this very sad. But I want to say that it is not just the fact of our birth that we see in these verses as mattering. Not just whether or not we get to the point of being born that needs to be protected. But there is far more value to life than that. What else do these verses say? Well, the first thing I see apart from that is that care, detail and attention is given in the way that God made us. David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Notice the intense care, wonder and awe that God is described as having for you and for me in the way that he makes us. Not just our awe for God, but his for us as well. Life is not to be treated or taken lightly. On that, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this agrees. You aren't me and I'm not you. The image of God that's found within humanity is not just to be found in one person, but to be found in all of us. It takes everyone that God has made to fully reflect the image of God. God made many flavours of us and he did it carefully and intentionally. That's exactly how he wants it to be. Life is to be celebrated more than just birth being protected. But the final thing I see in these words is that it is every step of our life that God cares about. In verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass. I want you to hear this really carefully. God's interest in us doesn't stop just because we successfully make it out of the womb. Every day, every decision, every obstacle, every success, every pain, he knows, he cares, he is there. And this is where I believe that Christians who hold the position that I hold, I believe we have work to do. Because if we were to use that language of being pro-life, we need to be pro-life, not just pro-birth. It's not enough. It is not enough to oppose abortion, but do nothing to fight for people's whole lives. We have to be genuinely for life. Here are some more statistics. First, around those seeking asylum in our country. Around half of those seeking asylum are denied it. About a third of those refusals, when they're appealed, are seen to be wrong and are overturned. People are being denied asylum into our country wrongly. And it is so devastating for their lives. Mental health. One in four people will suffer a mental health condition every year in our country. Only one in eight will receive treatment for it. Mental health research and treatment is proportionally underfunded compared with other health conditions. Poverty. 4.3 million children are living in poverty in the UK in 2019 and 2020. That's 31% of the children in our country are in poverty. As we saw last week, that is higher for those from an ethnic minority. 
policy enacted by the government is not reducing this figure. But the richest in the UK continue to become richer and richer. There are issues of life and of living beyond just being born which need to be addressed and as Christians I believe we need to stand up for it. The interesting and perhaps difficult thing for us to recognise is that those who would consider themselves more conservative socially or politically will often stand against abortion policies but they will not raise the same volume in these other areas. In the USA things like uh, gun control and the death penalty could be added to this list. Why is that? Why is it that we can be so pro-life on some issues but keep quiet on others? What does that do for our witness? What does that do for the way that we are seen by others? Again, I want to say God's interest does not stop just because someone has been successfully born. It is not enough for Christians, for anyone to oppose abortion in the name of standing for life if we won't do things to fight for the whole of people's lives. We have to be genuinely for life. So we've thought about how God knows us because he made us. But as we continue in this psalm, we're going to see that we can also be led by God. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? Let me pause there for a moment. David starts off this little section by talking about how God knows everything and how his, his ways and his thoughts are wonderful. And then he goes on to talk about his enemies, and David had some very real enemies in his life. Those who hated him and hated God. And David's saying, look, don't I stand against them, God? Don't you know that, that I'm against those who are against you? And this is where a lot of Christians will stop. As we carry on in these verses, we'll see that David's whole reason for saying this is that he's saying to God, and, and, and if you know these things, Lord, then, then test me, search me, see where my heart isn't right and help me to grow. He's saying, I know others are against you and I, I, I'm, I'm not in favour of that, but Lord, search me. Show me the ways that I need to change. And so often, the ways that Christians will talk about issues of life and death or abortion or assisted dying will be in that high horse mentality. Thinking ourselves to be better or purer. And we'll, we'll, we'll adopt that mentality of saying, well, we're not like those people. We can be harsh, we can be judgmental. Christians can often sound that way. Maybe you're watching this and you've had an abortion in your life and you're expecting that kind of condemnation from someone in my position. If that's the case, I'm so sorry. I've sought to share what I believe, but I'm so sorry for the harsh and judgmental and cruel ways that Christians have often spoken or acted. I'm sorry for the times when people have stood outside abortion clinics and hurled abuse at women 
who are making such difficult decisions in their own lives. I'm sorry for the ways in which our words haven't been matched by actions. You might very validly be thinking, well, this is a man talking about something that women choose to do with their bodies. I have sympathy for that. And I don't believe it's the right of all Christians to tell everyone in the world how it is that they should behave. On this issue, the reason that I do speak up, the reason that I have signed petitions and I will politically engage, is because I believe that there is a life that doesn't have a voice, that needs to be spoken for. But I really hope that in the way that I engage and speak, I am not harsh, I am not judgmental, I am not cruel. To you, if that is you, then I want to say that you are so welcome. I don't see you as disqualified from God's love, from my love, from the love of our church family. I hope that you would know nothing but welcome and acceptance. The very message of my faith is one of embrace no matter what, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter, no matter where we've come from, the mistakes we've made, the victories we've had, the accomplishments and the failures. None of us have lived up. None of us have made the cut. We all need grace. And God's grace is big enough. Let's carry on reading what David has to say in these verses. Because he goes on not to talk about God's judgment against those who are far from God. But to talk about the ways that he needs to respond to what God is saying to him. Challenging him. Correcting him. Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the heart of someone who is seeking God. Not to say, aren't I good because I'm not like them. I'm going to tell them how wrong they are. But instead, to say, Lord, search me, know me, help me. Correct me, straighten me out, lead me. I believe that if we open ourselves up to God with prayers like that, that he will lead us. Opinions are okay. And on issues like abortion, issues to do with life and death, opinions are okay, they're fine. But what about our actions? Gregory and Basil of Nyssa were two important 4th century Christian theologians. They were people who were respected near and far for their views, for helping people to understand this, this faith. At the time when they lived, it was common and widespread across the society, across the Roman society that they lived in, for unwanted children, particularly girls, simply to be discarded when they were babies or when they were children, to be thrown out literally on rubbish tips and left for dead because they weren't wanted, because their life wasn't seen as valuable, because their life wasn't seen as important. This was normal, this was common spread. If you and I had lived in that time, we probably wouldn't have seen it as wrong, because very few did. Gregory and Basil of Nyssa weren't the ones to realise that this was wrong. Their sister, their eldest sister, Macrina, she is the first person recorded as seeing this as being repellent 
to the fact that the image of God is placed in every single one of those children, in every single person. And she raised her voice. And when she did, eventually one of her brothers started to listen and joined with her. And they started talking, talking to Christians and combating the idea that this was okay. Speaking out against this particular practice. But they didn't just speak out. Macrina also went to those rubbish tips. She went and she scoured those refuse sites to find discarded children. And when she found them in time before they died, she took them in as her own children and cared for them and looked after them and honoured the image of God in them. Macrina and her brother Gregory were also some of the first Christians to challenge slavery as being a practice that was against the heart of God. Christians at the time didn't listen. It took a very long time for Christians to take hold of that, a reminder that Christians do not hold the moral high ground, that we do not get things right all the time just by virtue of our faith. They also spoke up against the fact that the super rich did nothing while so many lived in poverty and again their words weren't really listened to. See, these were people who had views and they spoke about them, but they also put them into practice. I know of a, a church movement here in the UK that helps women who are considering abortions or who have had abortions. And they will offer them counselling and they'll offer them care and they'll offer them friendship. At times when appropriate, they'll offer them financial support. But none of those kinds of support come with strings attached. They won't only offer support if you choose not to terminate a pregnancy. But what they'll also do is that they, if you choose to have the child, then they will ensure that there is a family to take it and to look after it, if that's what you want. See, this is a church that isn't just telling people what to do, but is saying, help, let us help you. Let us be part of the solution. And I want to say that if you're listening to this and you are having to make difficult and hard decisions at the moment, I want to say to you, I want to promise to you that if you want and you reach out for support, then we will help. We will not be judgmental. We will not be harsh or cruel. But we will seek to help you, to journey through with you, to stand with you. All of this lands not just in those particular issues that I've been talking most about today, but it lands for all of us in the fact that God knows us, that God made us, and that God, if we are open to praying those bold prayers of, Lord, search me, guide me, lead me, God can lead us. Where is God leading you? What decisions is it that you need to make? I'm aware that what I've spoken about today is potentially quite heavy and quite serious and might sit quite weightily. I want to give us a moment to pause and then I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, you know what is going through our minds in these moments. You know what memories 
we have. You know what questions we have. You know what we are celebrating or what we are mourning. Thank you, Lord, that you know us. Thank you that you made us and that you have plans and hopes for us. Thank you that no matter what, no matter what, you have a future and a purpose for us. Help us to respond to you, to be led by you. We praise you, life-giving God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.